Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Zach, we are marching through fall here. And by the way, welcome to the show. We have a new money doctor, yes. Zach Albanese, another advisor here in the office. And we're so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. It's good to be here and excited to participate and contribute as I've been uh, gearing up, listening to the last few episodes, figuring out what this is all about. So I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of fun here. So, hey, just relax and enjoy yeah. the ride. <laughs> you know, it's been an interesting week in sports. You know, I, I love sports and a lot of our advisors here do. Tom Brady passed Drew Brees, the all-time passing record this past week as the Bucks beat the New England Patriots. Boy, I bet New English as they had him back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, finishing out his career in style, you know, back in back on top above Drew Brees. And uh, in college football, I mean, Georgia's the only team around here that, that's got a solid, you know, uh, record 5-0. and um, And uh, yeah, they had a solid shutout over Arkansas this past week, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, they got another tough game this Saturday with Auburn. So, uh, yeah. We got a lot going on with college football. South Carolina and Clemson, not so much. <laughs> we are struggling. Um, yeah, I think Coastal Carolina, undefeated at 15, would beat either of us this year, unfortunately. Clemson, they, they, we've got a week off, fortunately, this Saturday. Might so be good. Tomorrow, yeah, we won't be, we won't be playing. Um, uh, Gamecocks, they host Tennessee. Um, they're 10 points favorites. We'll see. But, so yeah, they got a lot of tough games. So, yeah. Uh, Hey, and in golf, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, top eight in the world, long drive competition last week. So, I mean, he's for real. This long drive stuff is not playing. I mean, he he yeah. can really compete at the world level. That's pretty impressive. I mean, it even drew me in to uh, check out some clips and some highlights of what he's doing and, and how he's kind of making the game of golf uh, exciting for people who are newer to the fandom of golf. So I yeah. appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing for a golfer it, to see a pro yeah. tour golfer, you know, get to that level Very and, impressive. and be able to do long drive is, is pretty amazing. Speaking of amazing, there's a lot going on in the stock market and the world of finance, you know, currently. And so we got a great show lined up here. We're going to talk about inflation because that's been a concern for a lot of people. Um, you know, whether they need to worry about it in the personal level and their their own lives, you know, there has been some inflation this year. They see housing prices skyrocketing or whether, you know, they need to worry about it from their investment standpoint. So we're going to dig into that. We've got a great article here out of Kiplinger's that um, will kind of tee that up for us. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot you need to pay attention to about inflation. We're going to resolve some of those fears today. And then we're going to follow that up with a great, um, great uh, topic about three big life transitions, right? Yeah, yeah. That article is also from Kiplinger's, and it's just a good time to reassess, reevaluate where uh, you are, and and are you going through any of these transitions? And if you are, what are some some good steps to take in order to prepare yourself well? Yeah, that'll be great. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro and a certified financial planner with over 26 years experience in financial planning and investment advice. And my name is Zach Albanese. I'm a financial advisor here and got a degree in finance uh, some 10 years ago and 
now uh, back in the financial advisor industry and have about two, three years of experience. Well, awesome. Great to have you here on the show. Thanks. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. We are up every Friday afternoon. Um, and you can also uh, you can listen to us right through our website. Um, but you can also um, find us on iTunes uh, pretty much anywhere in the world. And um, check out our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. We'll answer those right here on the show. Well, we're going to start off here, Zach, with the uh, financial fact of the week. Yeah, so this one's from the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and it has to do with housing prices. That's been a, a big thing, and this one is for sure uh, the value of a single-family home in the United States increased by an average of 17.4% over the last 12 months from uh, from June to June of last year. And that's My just goodness. A, <laughs> an incredible amount. <laughs> that is an incredible and, amount. And uh, fortunately, I... Well, I guess I bought my house in that window, but fortunately, right. uh, dodged most of the, the increase. So I'm thankful for that. Good but, for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that harkens back to the 70s, you know, I mean, that kind of inflation rate. I remember um, my dad, you know, talking about inflation when I was a kid and and I was like, oh, my goodness, how, how will I ever be to afford a house? You know, if it's going up double digits every year. Yeah. And I know there are young people that are feeling that way today. And that's one reason why we're going to talk about inflation, yeah. because, I mean, that is an alarming number. But keep in mind, that's just housing, okay? That's right. one segment, and it can come back, and it's it's a very isolated thing. But having said that, that's a disturbing number. 17% you know, increase in one year is a lot. Yeah, we'll see how, um, that, uh, how long that lasts or how that translates to next year. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good tee up here, you know, for our first topic here, and that is inflation. Is it a threat? Um, th- again, this is an article from Kiplinger's very recently, um, Joseph Dante. And uh, but Zach, I mean, you know, as America's economy opens up, you know, and reopens, um, we're seeing higher inflation. There's no doubt about it. I mean, so we do need to consider how this might affect our financial security from everything from your income to your investments. Um, You know, we haven't seen higher inflation here in the U.S. for about 30 years, really not this kind of inflation. So, you know, most people really don't know what that feels like. And of course, I mean, this year, many people are becoming abruptly acquainted with how inflation can affect our finances. Um, this 5.4% rise in the consumer price index in June, um, that's pretty high compared yeah. to last year, you know, and that marked the highest spike in inflation in almost 13 years. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, we haven't seen a yearly rate this high since 1990. Um, on a yearly basis. So, you know, if you remember the soaring double-digit inflation back from the 70s, I mean, you might be worried. However, most analysts, though, still believe that we're looking at temporary inflation, which will diminish as the economy and the supply chain issues go away. In fact, I mean, August was back down to a really a more sustainable, reasonable rate of only 0.3% increase. Um, but you never know whether that was an anomaly or whether it'll spike again. However, even if inflation never sustains at these really high levels, you still need to consider how the eroding effects will have on your nest egg over the long term. And as for your investments, you know, here's some good news. Inflation isn't necessarily bad news for stocks. A look at the stock market performance in the past three decades does not show any reliable connection between high or low inflation and U.S. stock returns. Since 1991, one-year returns on stocks have fluctuated widely, but the weakest returns often occurred when inflation was not high. So the correlation isn't necessarily connected. 
Also, 77% of the past 30 years saw positive returns even after adjusting for the impact of inflation. That was certainly the case for the first nine months of this year, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, over the past 30 years, I mean, the S&P 500 has averaged about 8.5% after adjusting for inflation. And the annualized inflation-adjusted return of the stock market is over 7%, going all the way back to 1926. Um, you know, and that makes the stock market really the best inflation hedge on the planet over time. Right. Um, you know, of course, I mean, markets, they can go down when we have rising inflation or the accompanying high interest rates that sometimes happens along with it. Um, but, you know, it's usually very temporary and markets historically have recovered faster than any other inflation hedge like real estate, precious metals that a lot of people kind of point to when they talk about hedging inflation. So, you know, if you're interested in positioning your investments to help protect against inflation over time, exposure to the stock market really has been proven to be your best tool, right. um, you know, despite people pointing to gold and silver and all the things that you hear about. Um, but when it comes to your short-term savings, I mean, even modest inflation can have a significant impact on your purchasing power. I mean, Heck, we met with somebody just, I guess, a, a week or two ago um, who had over $100,000 in a checking account. And, you know, I mean, they seemed a little startled, I think, whenever I mentioned, you know, that lost about 5000 or 5% yeah, to right. inflation over the past year in terms of purchasing power. That's just one year, right? That's just one year. So, you know, that that's the reality when you have periods of significant inflation. Yeah, and the, the Federal Reserve's target inflation rate is roughly 2%, but the Fed has said it will allow inflation to rise above that mark for a time. So let's take a look at how an average annual inflation rate of 3% over the next 20 years would impact your finances. Let's say you needed about $60,000 for your first year in retirement. If you projected that out, that would be about $108,000 to match today's purchasing power. Or maybe look at it this way. An annual inflation rate of 3% would be about $33,000 today if you looked at it 20 years from now, which is a huge hit, especially what you're mentioning with keeping it in a checking account. We think it might be <clears throat> safe. We think it might be protected. But if you left it in there for 20 years, that would be almost half the amount of purchasing power, which is incredible. Yeah, that's exactly right, um, Zach. Yeah, I mean, you need to factor in inflation into retirement plan because you can expect that everyday items like you know, travel, the expenses, they're going to continue to, to rise in cost. I mean, inflation erodes the value of savings, and it's going to continue to do so after you retire. Um, and consider, you know, near zero interest rates um, on your savings accounts. I mean, and with that considered, I mean, retirees, they're living off their savings. They're especially vulnerable to high inflation. Mm -hmm. I mean, therefore, you know, it's important to assess your investment strategy and your, your retirement income plan to see if you're protected against inflation over the long term. The Senior Citizens League estimates that the average Social Security benefit has lost about a third of its buying power since the year 2000. So over the past 20 years. Because the benefits having increases haven't kept up with the increasing cost of things like prescription drugs, wow. food, housing, um, which are a big portion of most seniors' budgets. Um, the average retiree now gets about $1,250 per month in benefits from uh, Social Security, but the costs have risen such that they really need about $1,625 yeah. 
um, per month instead of 1250 to buy the same amount they did 20 years ago. So, I mean, it's real, you know? I mean, yeah. this has occurred despite the yearly cost of living adjustments that Social Security benefits put in place that are meant to keep up with inflation. Yeah, and Social Security beneficiaries saw an increase of about 1.3% last year. And in some years, the cost of living adjustment has been non-existent or practically zero. It was 0.3% for 2016, 0% for 2015. Lawmakers have proposed changing how cost of living adjustments are calculated to make benefit increases better reflect the price increase older Americans actually see. Consider what would happen if all your retirement income lost a third of its value over the course of 20 years. That scenario makes it much more likely that you will run out of money, and that's why your retirement investments need not only keep up with inflation, but beat inflation. So when it comes to retirement, Zach, you know, the question people have to ask themselves is how much income are they going to need in retirement, you know, particularly when accounting for inflation? Um, so here are some things to consider, you know, if you're in that process of figuring out, you know, what your retirement picture is going to look like. I mean, first, consider any fixed income sources like pensions that are not likely to keep up with inflation. I mean, in that process, consider how much interest that you're earning from you know, money in savings accounts or CDs, it's unlikely that you're going to see a substantial interest rate hike over the next few years. So be prepared to continue earning very little interest there. Um, that's not going to be a big contributor to right. your income. And so it's important to assess your investment strategy and your retirement income to see if you're protected against inflation for the long term. Because if you have a whole bunch of money sitting in fixed income, clearly that's not going to be protected. Right. And then next, you know, you need to add up your investments, um, total up how much your nest egg is right now. Um, and then as you do, factor in inflation over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And consider that while overall interest rates may fall, you know, from where they are today, um, our inflation rates may go down from where they are today. Um, you know, that might not be true for some specific goods and services that you're going to need in retirement that take a long, large chunk of your income, like health care. You know, I mean, we all know that goes up, you know, a big chunk every year and energy and food and, you know, long term care costs. So you have to factor in inflation. It's a big component of your retirement picture. Yeah. And what you also want to do is consider whether your current investment strategy will need to change once you retire. You may want to contemplate a strategy that continues to grow your money in retirement so when transitory events like inflation hit, you're covered. Foundationally, a solid plan ensures that your purchasing power needs are always met. Some people may want to take on less investment risk once they near and reach retirement. However, it's also important to have the right risk asset allocations to help combat the eroding effects of inflation on your nest egg over the course of your retirement. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, unfortunately, you know, creating a retirement plan which accounts for inflation along with all of your income and expenses is very difficult mm -hmm. to do on your own. Um, so you may want to get help from a professional. Um, I mean, sure, anybody can add up what their income sources at retirement are going to be and compare those with your expected expenses. And you can get a snapshot of how retirement's going to look on day one you retire um, and that's helpful, but it really doesn't tell you what the retirement picture is going to look like 10 years down the road right. once inflation, you know, has taken a bite out of your spending power. Um, so that's why it's important to make sure that you get some help, run some real retirement plan numbers and projections that project your retirement picture well into retirement and takes inflation into account. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, today's retirees, they face, you know, kind of the triple threat of high inflation, persistent low interest rates, which were seen for a very long time, and the unpredictable, you know, stock market. Um, you know, so, I mean, we could see the after effect from this pandemic for years to come. Um, so make sure you have a solid retirement plan in place to weather the storms, you know, like we've been through here in the past couple of years, but also rising inflation, because that is a very significant factor when it comes to um comes to planning for retirement all right very good that's good information definitely and so that leads us up here to our next thing and that is the question of the week so the question is is there anything i should do before interest rates start to rise um and that's a great question because yeah i mean we have heard a lot about interest rates rising um here in the near future the fed you know is going to stop their their quantitative easing, their, their purchase bond purchasing program, and that is expected to make long-term rates start to rise, and those have already started. Um, <clears throat> so you want to make sure your investments are not exposed to long-term bonds. You want to keep those pretty short. Um, you know, that's from the investment standpoint. You also want to take a look at refinancing your house if mm. you haven't already. I think, you know, time is probably running out for refinancing. It's getting there, yeah. Yeah, we're starting to see rates creep up a little bit. So you want to go ahead and do that if you haven't. And also, I mean, don't lock into CDs or an annuity, anything where you're going to be locked into low interest rate or low yields um, for a long time. Because, I mean, obviously those are going to go up, you know, probably in the near future. Right. So you want to keep your savings in something more like high yield money market account or savings account, which is liquid, where you can change, where you can take advantage of rising rates. So that's what you want to do to kind of prepare yourself for higher rates. So good question. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is the three big life changes and transitions. Um, how do you handle those? Yeah, Steve, we are, uh, you know, we're officially in fall now, which is personally my favorite season. It used to be summer until I moved out to New England, spent seven years there. And nothing's really quite like the fall in New England. The trees are beautiful. Right. It's a reminder every day. Uh, just, yeah, just how beautiful creation is. And so, um, it just became my, my favorite season moving down here though. It's not quite the same. The leaves still have not changed color yet, but fall in Georgia has reminded me that the humidity and the heat are almost gone. And so I'm thankful for that. So happy to be here. Um, well, we have fall. It's just a little yeah, later. It's later. Right, right. Later, exactly. Zach. It's yeah. like November for us. Yeah. It's a, you don't get as much of it. Uh, so I'm True. excited for November to come for the leaves to change, uh, because yeah, it is my favorite. I love the crisp mornings, which have, which have started. I've enjoyed getting up early, right. feeling that cool air, um, as I breathe in. So yeah, so we transitions are good. Fall is here. They allow us to re, re reset, reevaluate, reflect, plan. How are we going to approach this next season? And so as the fall season triggers that transition, uh, I thought this article also in Kiplinger's by, uh, Kara Duckworth was really good just to talk about how to deal with three of life's biggest transitions. And right. let's see, uh, let's, let's dig in and see what those are. You know, transitions can be joyful, uh, but they can also cause a lot of anxiety, especially if we're not prepared. So it's important that we assess and plan for them well. The first of these three is getting married. Yeah. Speaking of a big transition, that is definitely a big transition that, yes. uh, you know, all young people or a lot of young people go through. And, um, yeah, I mean, going from single person to one who is, you know, primarily um, only responsible for yourself to planning a wedding and becoming a husband or a wife, 
you know, is is a happy and very exciting time of life, no doubt. Um, but it can also cause a lot of a lot of stress and particularly financial stress. You know, um, I mean, things are going to be different. Right. Um, you really, you know, become a new person because <clears throat> you're now you're incorporating the whole new person into, you know, every crevice of your life. Um, and it's best, though, to talk about your finances well before you're getting married and even before you get engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, make sure you've discussed money and you've agreed on kind of the broad strategies before you get married. And I mean, even if you have, you're still likely going to have to make some adjustments to, you know, make room for a new, you know, person in your life. Um, so you want to keep that in mind. You want to talk about money often and early. Yeah. The, yeah. Yep. And here are some steps to smooth that transition. The first one is budgeting. Budgeting is so important because it removes a large amount of financial tension. Uh, if each person knows how much they have to spend in certain categories and on certain things, budgeting actually gives freedom to spend. It also allows you to make sure you have money set aside for fixed expenses like bills and rent or your mortgage. It's no fun when you think you have money to spend for that new pair of shoes, but then you realize you don't even have enough for your electricity bill. And so decide how will you handle your budget and your bills because budgets are tremendously helpful um, when managing expenses, especially when you consider bigger purchases or maybe a potential move. Yeah, I mean, I would just add, you know, when I first got married, Kathy and I, we had this, I was an engineer back then, yes. so I was pretty anal about the budget, yeah. okay? I mean, we had to, like this engineering ledger, <laughs> okay? And I wrote down every category in that engineering ledger, and I would copy it over every month. I yeah. had a new page for every month, and we would sit down and we would have a little budget meeting once a month, you know? I thought it was kind of like a date, you know? I thought, oh, this would be good, you know? We'll get together, we'll go have some pizza or something, and we'll talk about our budget every month. Well, I think for her, you know, it became kind of this time of reckoning, you know, where she had to like answer for things that were overspent, you know, in our categories. So, yeah, I took that a little too far, I think. But, um, but, but we did have a budget. I kept that ledger and, you know, I still have it. And it has like, you know, a hundred pages that are filled out with every minute detail that we spent for every single month. Oh, yeah. You know, I like that though. Yeah. We did one for every month. That's, that is so, good to hear. <laughs> that was a little extreme. You want to make it a little bit lighter and fun, I think, sure. than I did. But um, but it was effective. I mean, hey, we knew where every penny went. I was I was pretty anal about that budget. Yeah. So, um, but but make it a little more fun than that. We did have a date kind of thing around it, and we got a little looser with it after we, you know, progressed and started having a little more disposable income. Yeah, and and like you said, it it is important to do that. You need to be on the same page. You can go overboard. But there's a lot of times you can you can undersell it as well and, and then right. find yourself in a situation where um, you're having to, you know, go through plan A, B, C, D, E, F in order and, to make ends meet. So And that's what most people do. Most people don't do enough budgeting. Right. You know, I was just a little bit over the top on the yeah. other side. Yeah, but I think you have the right idea of let's do budget meeting and pizza. Let's do budget meeting we, and ice cream. That's what we did. We tried to make it a little, it. Exactly. a little fun thing. We tried to. Yeah, and that is and that is a recommendation of ours. Try to have something. Maybe it's not every month. Maybe it's quarterly. Just something where you get together to say, hey, this is the page we're on. This is where we're going. And it really will help smooth out your situation. Um, I know for me in, in um, you know, my marriage, it's, it's uh, one of us likes doing that kind of like – we. Being very detailed, right, right, and right. the other person might person might not be, and you have to just make sure. Okay, where's a healthy medium? How can we do this right. so we can progress well uh, as a family? And so that 
I think setting up something that's regular together will help you guys in your your process of budgeting. I think talking about it is the key, right? Just talking about it, being on the same page. That's right. You know, another thing to review, though, is your tax filing status. I know most people wouldn't think about this before they get married, you know, thinking about taxes. Not a very fun topic, Mm -hmm. right? But um, but it will change significantly. Like the year you get married, all of a sudden you'll go from filing single to filing joint. Um, that's going to give you a lot more room for, you know, deductions and taking sure. the standard deductional double. Um, you know, you have twice as much income that falls in a 12% bracket. So you just want to understand that and kind of understand what your income is going to look like. Understand if you're going to have to need to make estimated tax payments. Um, you know, last thing you want to do is get surprised by a tax bill the first year you're married. So exactly. just make sure that, you know, you have kind of a a picture of what your tax situation could look like. And it might be a great year for realizing gains or something because you have more room in that 12% bracket the first year you get married. So something to think about. Another one is, you know, another big transition, though, is a is a big promotion or a new job. Um, yeah, I mean, being acknowledged for, at work, you know, for what you're doing and getting a promotion or accepting a new job with increased responsibilities and pay, obviously, is very exciting. Yeah. Um, you may be faced, though, with a lot of new challenges that come with that. You know, maybe you have longer hours. Maybe you have to work weekends or something. Or maybe you have a lot more responsibility. Um, so, you know, it's helpful to have a handle on your personal finances before you start a new role so that you can focus on being successful with your projects instead of worrying about, you know, if you've missed something with your money. Um, but yeah, I mean, a new job opportunity is certainly very exciting. Always a welcome change. Yeah. And so here's some, some steps to smooth your transition. If that's where you, you find yourself. The first one is uh, to take a look at your tax withholding. If your new position comes with increased salary, um, review if you need to change your tax withholding so that you have paid in enough over the course of the calendar year to qualify under uh, what's called the safe harbor tax payment rules. And those are just rules that require you to make certain amount of tax payments so you don't have uh, so you don't have any underpayment penalties or interest when you file your annual tax returns. Currently, the federal safe harbor rules require that you pay the lesser of either 90% of last year's tax liability or 110% of this year's tax liability. So it's a good idea. Sit down with professional to help you determine if you need to make any adjustments to your situation. Um, and also, don't forget to include any state rules uh, that, that apply for your state. Um, the other thing for you to do is review your company's benefit plans. Uh, with a new role, you may not be eligible for things like stock options or deferred compensation plans or uh, be granted or allowed to purchase equity in a company. Whatever your situation is, review that. Your company's HR department will have all the details for you. So it's a good idea to sit down Review those as well with a financial professional to determine what's the best strategy going forward uh, for you and your goals. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's good. Um, yeah, and the last big, you know, transition in life I think you need to prepare for is welcoming a, a child, a oh, baby, yeah. right? You know that well I, with four ki- four young children. I do, yeah, right? we had to we had to not just welcome a baby at a time, but two at a time. Yeah, yes. we had we had twins about. Almost, almost two years ago. So, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's definitely a big transition. Absolutely, yeah. And they're worth every penny, of course, you know, but um, they're going to make you totally rethink your budget and what your priorities are with your spending. So, you know, be prepared for a total shift there. Um, you know, if you don't prepare well, I mean, welcoming a baby in your home can certainly cause a lot of financial stress. And, you know, a lack of sleep doesn't help it stress does either, right? No. So. So, yeah, I mean, before you're, you know, astounded by the cost of a pack of diapers or how fast a baby goes through them, um, you know, it's good to sit down, plan it all out, 
Um, you know, it doesn't need to be scary, but it does. It is going to help you, I think, smooth out that transition if you have some idea of how your budget's going to change. Yeah, and I know I sound like a broken record, but one of the things to help that transition is to update your budget. Right. Uh, because that's going to be critical. You want to add things like baby supplies and um, just how your your structure of your family looks different. Or maybe uh, you need to think about things like childcare or, um, or potentially reduce income if one of the parents is going to stay home or maybe work part-time. Uh, it's going to look different. Your financial situation is going to look different with a baby. And so just sit down and think about how it's going to impact your budget. Uh, the other thing is to consider benefits change. You want to explore how health insurance options are going to cover the child. Or maybe if both parents are working and have health insurance, Review the benefits, the deductibles, out-of-pocket, the, the cost there to determine which policy makes sense to cover the child. Uh, if you're responsible for some or all of the employer policy premium costs, inquire to see if there are any different costs with more than one dependent being covered and if it makes sense for your, your entire family to be covered maybe under one policy, even if both parents are working jobs that have health benefits. You generally have about 30 to 60 days to add a child to your health insurance benefits after birth, depending on your state laws. So if your employer offers a dependent care flexible spending account, you might want to consider that, take advantage of it, um, making contributions so you can use tax advantage funds to pay for qualified child care expenses. Yeah, absolutely. And from a tax standpoint, you know, I mean, it's it's a very positive thing having children, obviously. Um, yes. Yeah, first, the good news is you have $1,000 uh, per child, uh, child tax credit, and it's even higher right now, I think, temporarily. Yeah. And some states also offer you a state-level tax credit um, and deductions for contributions to the 529 plans to pay for college, as you just mentioned, and 8 through 12 mm -hmm. education and college expenses. So, yeah, if you're expecting a baby, it's a good idea to kind of sit down with your tax advisor or, or your regular, any kind of advisor, go through some of the planning questions and strategize your tax situation Absolutely. as well as your yeah. finances in general. So really good topic. All right. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Um, well, October, Zach, is a great time to kind of start your year in planning, particularly for gifting. Um, and, you know, one particular area is if you're over 72, you need to consider gifting money to your charities with something called a QCD. And that's called a qualified charitable distribution um, out of your IRA. And it's when you gift money straight out of your IRA to a charity of your choice before taxes. Mm -hmm. And if you're taking the standard deduction each year, then that QCD gift is like a double tax benefit right. because you're getting to gift the money tax-free out of the IRA and you're still getting to take advantage of the full standard deduction. So it's a great way, gift money to charity. So if you're in that category, um, over 72, taking required minimum distributions, consider giving that money to a charity. You can gift up to $100,000 a year, a huge amount, out of your IRA straight to charity if you're over 72 as a QCD. So that's your prescription of the week, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Um, send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can uh, link to us there, email those to us, or you can uh, reach us at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.